fight. Why do we got to fight? Let's be like sis and brother who finally got it right. Let's raise up each other. Black, brown, yellow, blue, white. Let's cherish all the color instead of spitting spite. Spitting spite. The highest we can be. You are be. listening to the Tom Fitton Show on WNHH LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and Harry, thanks for playing playing that song to kind of bring bring the spirit uh, to to the, to the present. And again, unity is key, and certainly we, we can see from well global issues, historical issues, uh, your sense of what history and her story is that this hit, unity should not just be a affirmation or a moral objective, but we really need to make it a reality in our daily walk. So today, in terms of uh, our daily walk, we really had the pleasure of. Uh, chatting with Tammy Denise, who kind of fits into that that paradigm in terms of she's the outreach director for the for the Connecticut Freedom Trail. And what does it mean in terms of this, this path that we all are walking in terms of our lifestyle, our beliefs, our history, our our our, our, our predilections, our biases, our 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 our, our, our demonic inst- instincts, but also our angel instincts. So just how do we weave in uh the sense of using history to to uh, inspire us to pursue our better angels versus uh, dealing with uh, despair and dystopia. So, Tammy, good morning, and and again, Tammy Denise is with us, and she's going to share with us what the Connecticut Freedom Trail is all about. And it's and it's not just a a, a November experience; it's a twenty four seven, three sixty five. Uh, I'll say African Genesis experience uh, here in Connecticut. But also, when you hear her talk about the Connecticut Freedom Trail, I think you'll see the interconnections of the international relations of Connecticut internet, actually the international relations of everyone wherever you might be on the planet. Uh, and Tammy, just before I kind of ask you to kind of share with with us about the Connecticut Freedom Trail and upcoming events and how people can get involved, share with us a little bit about your your your, your origin story in terms of you know where you were born. I'm also always curious when I chat with people about what kind of stimulated them, what what they can they reflect upon that kind of caused them to be in this space right now where they are. I'm just curious if there's something in your background, one or two events that kind of, that you can kind of. Um, assess the tea leaves of what, why you are now uh, at the Connecticut Freedom Trail. And also before, and I'm going to ask you also down the road about your, your, your production experience, your, your, your imbibing and, and, and demonstrating and illustrating what uh, Black history is in terms of your performance art. But uh, share with us a little bit, a little bit about your, your, your particular origin story, because uh, I, I think it's a, it has to be a fascinating thing to hear. Well, good morning, Tom. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, My origin story um, starts in Columbus, Mississippi. I'm a transplant from there. I came here as a tween. Um, I knew my great-grandmother, who was formerly enslaved, and she lived to be 125. Her name Hmm. was Mary Johnson. And so that's basically where my origin story starts. She was one of the first women in my world. And then my grandmother, the both of them were storytellers, my mom, and so in reality, I'm only three generations away from enslavement, mm. which when you think about it, it's not that far away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, my great-grandmother passed away. Uh, Mrs. Mary Johnson passed away in 1975. 
So um, I grew up hearing these stories. I remember her talking about the Little Bighorn, her experience during the Civil War when the um, Great Surrender happened in May of 1863 in Columbus, how she fed the horses and the soldiers. So I've always had a vivid imagination, always had a great respect and um, love for history because when she spoke, she was living history and mm. she was able to help us have those visual pictures. So that's basically my origin story is how it, how it got started was there. Great, great. And so uh, do you recall, and I really appreciate you talking about your, your family DNA and how that's kind of still in your spirit and how you manifest it. Um, so let's, let's jump to the Connecticut Freedom Trail. You were be, before you became outreach director for the Connecticut Freedom Trail, you were still doing the Freedom Trail work without without that without that particular brand. And in fact, so let, let, let's so share with us about your production company a little bit before we go into your 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 state your your state sanctioned job, part time okay. job. Uh, my production company is called Hidden Women. Uh, the Hidden Women Stage Company, there as the executive artistic director, I focus on bringing uh, women to life that has been lost or hidden in history, ergo the name Hidden. Um, and I focus on these women who have contributed just as much to the building of um, the society as those who are very well known. Mm -hmm. um, you kind of society has you think that only three or four people in the black community has done it all and in reality that's not true and we can actually name those three people without even thinking mlk mm -hmm. frederick Douglass, harriet tubman and or possibly sojourner truth and with my upbringing in, in mississippi i always knew about these unsung heroes so when we came here to the east coast um it was the same three possibly four people and that saddened me. So I wanted to help others in the community to learn about those who were hidden. And so that is the basis of the theater company um, that I started. Um, ooh, oh, my goodness. Over 20 years ago. Indeed. So, so and again, just before we go to the Freedom Trail, share with us a few of the names of the the, the late the, the, the heroines that you've portrayed and, and talked about. And again, so people might want to Google those names or even reach out to you uh, to get more okay. information or maybe even invite you to kind of perform. All right. Um, the website is hiddenwomen.org. The very first person that I portrayed was Bessie Coleman. She was the first internationally licensed female pilot, and she was two years before Amelia Earhart, but yet Amelia mm -hmm. still gets all of the shine. Mm. Uh, Elizabeth Keckley, dressmaker to Mary Todd Lincoln and president of the Freedmen's Association. Um, she and Harriet and Sojourner actually did some things together through the Freedmen's Association. Um, there is Sarah Magu. She is our Connecticut connection. She was one of the four children aboard the Amistad schooner. Mm. Um, there is Elizabeth Mumbet Freeman. She was the first woman, the first enslaved person to get her freedom through the former United States. And her petition that was filed in 1781 would be the basis for the Emancipation Proclamation mm. and uh, 82 years later. Then there is Belinda Royal or Belinda the African, which is uh, how she was uh, most most well-known. She is out of uh, Massachusetts also, and her petition that is still on the Tufts web, that is up on the Tufts website, is the basis for reparations mm. uh, for descendants of enslaved people. And there's a few others. So I do altogether toll of about nine different women, but you can find them not all at the same time, <laughs> individually. <laughs> <laughs> I tried that once and, oh yeah, the brain was a little scrambled. So uh, only one, uh, one at a time. But if you go to the website, you can see the other women that I do. I'm I'm so I'm so pleased. You, well, I'm, I'm, it's always good to see you. And also, I want you to kind of when we uh, move down the road a little bit in terms of the show, 
share with us last time I saw you in person here in New Haven at the for the for the armory. But when you mentioned Bessie Coleman and Amelia Earhart, I'm so next month is Women's History Month, but I forget, but I'd like to remind people that we have as much it's Black History Month this month, but next month is Black History Month also. All year <laughs> round. Know, you know, all year, this year is three hundred and sixty six days. So <laughs> there, you, there you go. So I'm so glad you mentioned Bessie Coleman, and I can see the picture of her and uh, et cetera, with with the aviator head on. Uh, oh, back there. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, back back there, and just just in my mind, just just knowing, yeah, knowing a little a little bit about her. Uh, so so let's jump to the Connecticut Freedom Trail, and and just if you can, uh, let's give a a really somber and and salutary salute to uh, El Martyr in, in that context yes. as well. Yes. Um, in 1995, August 1995. Uh, uh, Mr. Al Martyr, as well as then Senator Tony Hart, would, who would later become the mayor of New Haven, they petitioned the General Assembly and the General Assembly made it a law that the Connecticut Freedom Trail has to exist. And a year later, September 1996, it opened in about 60 towns with about 30 sites. And up today, we're upwards to 170 sites in 70 towns. And what the freedom and the reason Freedom Trial was established was to be able to tell the stories of struggle and dignity of those in the Black and African American communities. And there's four categories. And it just doesn't talk about the struggle. It talks about the resilience and the mm. determination um, to make sure that our contributions were counted and that we also benefited from our own contributions. Um, the four categories is the Amistad. Underground Railroad, Civil Rights, and Sites of Conscience. And um, so there's public sites and private homes. A lot of these places, a lot of the site consists of private homes, but they were homes that were inhabited by abolitionists, newspapers, activists, and so forth. And so that was why they're on the Freedom Trail. But we have public sites as well um, that um, includes the Freedom Trail and that tells those stories. Stories And so my job as the outreach director, one of them, is to go into the community to educate the community about the Freedom Trial, let them know why it really exists and why it is so important that they know about the history of the Connecticut Freedom Trial. And, and so how can people find out about the Freedom Trail or kind of... Uh, well, we have a brand new website and they can go to ctfreedomtrail.org it's an interactive map that shows where the sites are located it's also a, a website that educators students and anyone a lover of history can um use there's information there and it shows you all of the different sites so you can actually map out where you want to go to visit the freedom trial now boston has a two-mile freedom trial our freedom trial covers the entire state mm. so from top mm. to bottom side to side you can enter that freedom trial somewhere and some some of it is driving some of it is walking so just depending on what your map what, how you map it out will mm -hmm. determine on if you're going to be walking to certain places or if you're going to just drive stop and get out and walk or go into a building Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to talk about some of the, the sites and also some of the upcoming sites, because I believe here in New Haven, you have some excerpts, some additional sites on the on yes. your on your radar screen. But I guess when I jump back to Al, Al Martyr, mm -hmm. uh, who just recently passed at 101 years old, and uh, our former mayor and state senator, Tony Harp, uh, as you know, I'm involved with uh, electoral politics here in New Haven, officially, and I'm 3,000% understanding when someone says that government is sometimes an albatross rather than a solution. But again, for Al and Tony to bring this piece of legislation and to get it passed, we can still 
use our muscle, we shouldn't throw our muscle away or our belief that we could exercise and impact our, our public policy decisions. So just the fact that Elle and Tony and others had that vision and the fight to fight and to make it happen. Yeah. This is something that's that I guess I must kind of remind folks that don't it's easy to fall into despair. It's understandable to be de de depressed, but still, you know, there are people that have tried to give us inspiration. So the Freedom Trail is a is a is a lingering, sustained, evolving, and expanding um inspiration. So you have an upcoming event, I think, at the State House next next week, do I believe? Um, yes, we have several upcoming events. Um, next Friday, we will have the discover it's a collaboration of the Discovering Amistad, the old State House and the Connecticut Freedom Trial. And it talks about the narratives of uh, Black descendants and how they there's going to be three descendants there. Jeffrey Fletcher, who is the owner and executive director of the Ruby and Calvin Fletcher African American History Museum that's in Stratford, Connecticut soon to also be in Colchester. Um, and then we have Miss Connie Royster, who is a descendant of Judge Motley, uh, Baker, Baker Motley. And then we also have John Mills, who is our, our genealogist. And John has been doing a lot lately to help with bringing out a lot of the history. So that's going to happen next Friday at the Connecticut Old State House, 800 Main Street in Hartford. And it's from three to five. And it will also be live streamed and put on Facebook as well, if just in case you can't make it in person. Um, March, March, uh, February 21st, we have, um, the flag and plaque ceremony for the new England air museum, because they are our latest site mm. onto the Connecticut freedom trail because of their permanent exhibit and education of the Tuskegee airmen. Mm -hmm. They are our latest site. And so we will have Senator, hopefully Senator Blumenthal, and we will have Lieutenant Governor, um, Susan Bicewich there as well as a part of that ceremony. So it's open to the public. Hope you'll come out and join us to celebrate that. And and I saw you most recently or a few months ago here in New Haven at, at uh, yes. Bethel AME, AME Church and just right across the street from the armory. What was that? I know, I know we paid you big bucks to kind of come down and you renewed your passport to come into New Haven. What, what, what brought you into our uh, humble uh, neighborhood on that particular day? Well, on that particular day, it was, um, that was actually due to Todd Levine. He had been trying for quite some time. We're trying to do a trail within a trail in regards to the Black Panthers. And Todd was able to um, get the armory put on and we're looking to put three other sites, the courthouse. Um, we're looking to get in touch with Project Morbin, trying, haven't been able to. So hopefully if anyone's watching, you can help with that. And mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is to be able to tell the story and the legacy of the Black Panthers and what was happening in New Haven at the time. So the armory is the first of those sites that was put on and we presented the flag and the plaque to Mayor Elliker, um, early, late, summer, early fall um, last year. So there's also one of our latest sites that's been added to the Freedom Trail. And, and, and I bring that up so that people won't think that it, I mean, it's, it's, it's worthy just to kind of follow the, 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 the if, if you will, the old sites, but you're still rediscovering, rebranding. It's, it's a, our history is a living history. It's not yes. uh, a, uh, just an anachronism. So I, that's mm -hmm. why I, I mentioned, mentioned, so repeat those categories again, because I think I want people to see the the, the vibrancy and and the vision that you and, and we use the term trail, but it's a it's a metaphor, but it's also a reality and it's also expansive. 
Yes, it is. Um, the Connecticut Freedom Trail embraces the past. And so what I like to tell people, whether I'm performing or the outreach director, our past is always present because mm. we're constantly learning new things about the past. Doesn't mean what we already know is inaccurate. It's just being expounded upon and we're learning more. So mm. the four categories, again, would be the Amistad, Underground Railroad Connections, um, Sites of Consciousness, and Civil Rights. So again, things are always being discovered there's new information always being found. So the Freedom Trail is constantly growing. It is not stagnant. It is going to continue to grow. And, and Tammy, uh, if I could shift, uh, not necessarily shift, but in terms of when you mention the words growing and sustaining and, and really serving the people, money kicks in. I mean, the, the governor just recently, uh, earlier this week, made his presentation about the, the state budget. What can the, do you, do you, I'll be, let me be direct. Do you need more money? What, what kind of support does, does the Freedom Trail need uh, to kind of expand? And, and what do you think you deserve? <laughs> well, the Freedom Trail is, it comes through the Department of Economic um, Development and the State Historical Preservation Office. And so those are the, um, the ones that's actually funding. But um, the Connecticut Freedom Trail itself, what we do is when we do public um, public speaking for corporations, um, they can make donations to um, Connecticut Democracy Center on behalf of the Connecticut Freedom Trail. So that's basically how that can work. Okay. And, and so what would be the contact if there is a, a philanthropist or a business or, you know, because people sometimes have a uh dollars under their their mattress and they're looking or or wills to kind of make out what's the best way for them to contact you um the best way would be um and what they, they can contact me and i would just forward them to the people that it needs to be but it would be my long email tammy.denise at ctdemocracycenter.org excellent excellent and you know i, I appreciate your sharing that uh and even just mentioning the the the, the state uh departments that the Freedom Trail is, is connected with, because this, knowing how the system works, and just even knowing the configuration, information is power. We hear that term, it's just used, but it, it, it is true. It is true. So to know, to know where to fire, this is a bad analogy in terms of where to fire your bullet, but knowing where to kind of target tar, target your vision and your energy is key to, be, to being tactical and, and strategic. Uh, uh, the shows are live, so this is not just want everybody to know this is not a rehearse. But speaking of rehearsals, Tammy, should, <laughs> should, would you be willing to um, take two or three or four minutes and, and and put on the garb of one of the ladies that you that you uh, that you portrayed and just share with us a little bit? It could be in the vernacular, it could be in the the uh, tonality. Uh, and again, oh this goodness. is you were not. I know you're not prepared <laughs> for that. But it just when I see you, I, and when you mentioned the, the, the ladies, I, I just see that coming to me. I, and I, it's, I just wonder if I could impose upon you. <laughs> okay, no pressure. Uh, let's see. February 24th, I will be at the New England Air Museum portraying Bessie Coleman um, at 11 and 1. But I can give you something quickly with Bessie, as well as Sarah Margoo, because I'll be in New Haven March 9th as well. Uh, for Bessie Coleman, uh, let's see. Tu n'as pas encore vécu en waka. Tu as voyagé par avion. <laughs> that is how I feel each time I fly in that there sky. When I fly high in that there sky, I am free. I am free from discriminating restraints and there are no complaints. And then for Sarah Margu, <laughs> let's see, Sarah, uh, let's see. 
is Sarah Mago. But before I was Sarah, I was Mago. I come from a place that is warm and tropical. I come from a place where I was loved. Me and my other siblings and my father and mother, we were Ras farmers. We were proud of who we were and what we did. Each day before the yard bird would crow, we would rise, get dressed, and make our way to the rice field. There, we would spend much time as a family. There is where we showed love. Mm, 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 mm. Thank you for that. I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do any more right now, however, but probably when we get to 10, 20 minutes from now, I want you to close out with somebody. But let's oh, let's okay. jump let, let's jump to the little you mentioned the Amistad. Mm -hmm. And people know you know Sinke, Sim Sinbe, they I think they can see the see the the uh, schooner. Yes. But you mentioned a little girl. Yes. And I don't think people know that she wrote something. Mm-hmm. And you can read about Phyllis Wheatley. You can read about Douglas. You can read about MLK. You can read about Alice Walker. You can read about any uh, Langston Hughes. But she wrote something that, in my mind, is more important, is just as important and cogent and powerful than even the, the one or two color purples that we've seen on the screen. I'm not picking on color purple. I'm not picking on the origin. I'm not picking on American fiction. But share with us a little bit about that that young lady that had literacy. I mean, just the fact that she had literacy. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing that um, I want people to understand, they were captives. They were taken from their homeland. And in their homeland, they had universities. They had different languages. They spoke different languages, had different skill sets. So they were not um, individuals who were swinging from trees in a jungle. They were in a tropical place and they were very intelligent individuals who were snatched away from their homes and were supposed to be enslaved. But because of their determination and their sheer will to make it back to their loved ones and to their homeland, they were able to resist the conditions that they were forced into. Um, Magu, after um, she receives her freedom, along with the other um, enslaved Africans, she would go on to Oberlin College and mm. she would be the first African to graduate college in this country. Mm. And so, uh, and her favorite thing was to write. She was very good at writing. She wrote multiple letters um, back to her benefactor here um, in New York. She wrote to her teacher, Mrs. Branch. And so she was very, one of the things that I like to bring out in her story is when they had to do the speaking tour and they had to travel Boston, New York, Philadelphia to raise the money to get back home. One of the things that she does is she reads and she reads from their religious book, which is mm. the Bible, the Holy Bible, because at that time, as much as Farmington and Connecticut want to brag about the Amistad and how they were accepting, that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Not everyone was um, kind and generous to the Amistad captives, especially in Farmington. And so um, the mindset was in the community, all oh, the, the Africans with the broad foreheads and the wide noses, they can't possibly be intelligent as we are. They can't, we have to teach them, we have to show them. But in reality, the um, Mende captives and the surrounding area of Mende, they were far beyond what mm. anyone could even think of. And so when they did these speaking tours, which um, they were supposed to speak about their adventure aboard La Amistad, that wasn't an adventure. 
not by a long shot. These people mm. were fighting for their lives and they were fighting to get back home, but they turned that situation around to their benefit and they did what they needed to do to get back home. And because they, they taught them their version of science and how to read and write in their language and to and their religion, but they still had their own. They still mm. had. Mm. Just a little bit more. Keep, 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 keep going on. Because <laughs> I mean, this, this, and, and people forget sometimes think that the Amistad decision was a moral decision, but no, it was an, it was a commerce based decision. It, it was an economic based decision. It was yeah. to keep harmony between you know Spain and and the U.S. But 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 say a little bit more about the, the about, about the young lady. I, it's so important. Uh <laughs> Well, uh, let's see. What else is there about Sarah? Uh, she's she's just a fascinating person. She she was divided between two worlds because mm. um, she was captured and brought here at a time that was most important in her world, where she was a part of the Sanday Society and the boys were part of the Porto Society. Now, those are um, societies that you're not privileged to if you're not in the culture. Mm. When I was doing my research, um, Donald George he um, was very helpful in helping me to decipher some of the knowledge that I had, not so much the Sandy Society. And I will never forget this as long as I live, how I felt when he was teaching me how to count in Mindy and he was giving me some basic background. And my first question was, tell me about the Sandy Society. I'm all excited because I want to mm -hmm. learn more about it. And his whole continence changed everything. He got very serious and he looked me straight in my eye and it sent a chill down my spine. And he said, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. That mm. was not a joke. And it was like, okay, I don't need to know all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know all of what needs to be known about the Sandy Society. What I do know is the basics is where the young ladies are taken by the other women, shown shown whatever it needs to be shown and skills and things to help them be productive in society. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with the uh, men in the portal. But again, we don't know a whole lot about the uh, rituals and things of that. And we should know because it's not our culture. It's not our heritage. So, mm -hmm. um, but she would be torn between those two worlds because now she's in the Western world and she's been introduced into a whole different culture, yes. a whole different style of life. And so I try to balance her story where she knows where she came from. She knows what she's supposed to know. And she holds on to that for dear life while trying to still embrace the new information and the newness of what she's just discovered. Excellent. Excellent. And, and I appreciate your kind of, uh, given us the, the contextual comment because in today's world we hear we talk about well you know people talk to the boys about we wear the mask and now we have the the kids talk about uh, uh coding you know the black code white code when yeah. you're in white spaces so this this trauma being this, this trauma torn situation mm -hmm. seems to still be to be, be part of us and it, it makes sense that uh, I mean, we hear about Timbuktu and Mali, and I really appreciate your mentioning that the the lost libraries and and not to mention Egypt. So it's just as we kind of celebrate and take a moment here in February about the uh, 24-7, 365 experience and the, and the globe. I, I call it the African Genesis. It's so I'm so I'm so, so glad you 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 referenced that knowledge was not just contained in one particular continent. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. One of the other things that I um that's not really considered at large is how Africa is a continent and not mm. a country. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I do um speaking programs or even um educational programs, enrichment programs, 
I often hear how, well, Africa played a role in slavery just like everybody else. And so I have to help people to put that into context. Um, Africa is a continent. It is the biggest continent or one of the biggest. And the United States as a country fits inside of Africa three times. Mm -hmm. The continent of Australia sits inside of it five times. Mm -hmm. And there's 54 countries. So when you want to say Africa played a role, you have to put it in context and put it where it really belongs. When they went to war with the different tribes fighting with each other, those were prisons of wars they were selling off. They weren't selling off their countrymen. Just the same as like when the Europeans fought, if you had Germans and French or um, when you look at them, they all look the same to you open until they open their mouth and you realize they're not from the same culture. They're not the same people. So mm-hmm. when they when the Europeans fought each other and sold each other off into war, it, that's the same thing. So you have to put it on the same playing field and not just put Africa as a whole as being a part of the international slave trade, because that's not how it actually happened. Excellent. We're, we're chatting with Tammy Denise, Outreach Director for the Connecticut Freedom Trail. And, and the name of your production company again, Tammy? Is Hidden Women Stage Company. Hidden Women Stage Company. And again, you can tell, Tammy, I'm kind of loose with my lips during the show. So I have nothing against Oprah and nothing against Gail and nothing against Tavis. You know, rest, I shouldn't say rest his soul, but, 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 your, but your production company is just as important from my standpoint. Talk to me about filming. Just as a segue, um, what, what are your goals for the production company? Are you going to do some, some films? Are you looking to say some plays? Well, what's, what, what is your, what is your, your, your inner griot tell you in this regard? Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, 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 let's lift up uh, uh, the, the, the new, the, the Tammy Denise uh, uh, prototype. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, one of the things that I've been doing with the um, production company is I'm taking the one woman shows and turning them into ensemble casts. Um, mm. The first one I did that with was Elizabeth Keckley, um, Tailored Made Freedom or Freedom Tailored by Hand. Uh, whereas I was doing it just as a one woman, I turned it into a six person um, cast. And you got to see it a little bit more in 3D. And the reason I want to turn all of my one woman shows into ensemble casts is because I'm only one person. And when Mm -hmm. I'm done, the story will end with me and they'll be hidden again. So my um, goal is to um, train others to take on these roles so that these stories can continue and never be hidden in history again. So that's one of the things that I'm doing. I've done a couple of individual um, filming projects. I've done a couple of scissor reels. The last one I did was a couple of years ago. It's called The Slave Narrative of Willie May, written Mm. by Ife Franklin. And it is a story about her family and her grandmother that she knew. And it talked about, it is talking about the resiliency of the enslaved, especially the women, what they did and how they resisted their their situations and what they did to get out of it and what they would do to not return. Mm-hmm. And so right now that film is being um, shopped around, that not film, but the scissor reel is being shopped around to get more funding so that it can become a complete film. Perfect. And if folks are interested and folks are if folks are interested in supporting that project, how do they uh, reach out to you? Um, again, you can reach out to me. Um, actually, you would actually be reaching out to Efre Franklin Arts because it's okay. her film. Okay. Uh, but okay. you could reach out to me and I will pass that information along. It would be tdenise at gmail.com or info at hiddenwomen.org. Excellent. And and I'm thanks for indulging me because but just when I see you, you're you know, you're you're a Renaissance woman. So I, I just want people to kind of understand the context that you're just not the outreach director uh, for 
for, for the Connecticut Freedom Trails and, and no disparaging to the governor or the Connecticut Freedom Trail, uh, uh, which, which is so key. Uh, we have about 10, 10 or 15 more minutes. So as the spirit moves you and things kind of, kind of come across your mind, uh, uh, jump in. You, you mentioned a March event here in New Haven. Is the schedule, are you looking even at some April and, and May and June events as well? Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's several, um, one way you can find the different events for the freedom trial is to go to ctfreedomtrial.org. We do have an event page. We are loading it as it comes in. Um, March 9th, I will be at the Wadsworth Anthenium at noon. And then March 9th at 3 PM, I will be at the new Haven museum where I will do Sarah Magu live there. Um, there's some stuff happening in April, but I can't think of it right now. But for Juneteenth, there's a lot of Juneteenth events happening. I will be at the New London um, location of the Hempstead, Joshua Hempstead House for their Juneteenth event mm -hmm. the weekend of June 7th and 8th. I will be there. And again, most of these events that's pertaining to the different um, Freedom Trial sites will show up on the event page of the Connecticut Freedom Trial. Excellent, excellent. That's, when, when you mentioned... Um scaling up and sp sprinkling your talent and your gift to, to the young people. Do I hear you saying that you, you're envisaging, or, or I mean, or could there be some drama schools that are interested in supporting you? I, I'm thinking the Yale Drama School in particular, and, and, <laughs> and some, some college and universities in terms of their drama clubs. Like, it's, Do you see some uh, fertile ground uh, in Connecticut oh for, goodness, folks yeah. to, for folks to come Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, it would be great to connect with these people. Um, I'm in the business of it's not what you know, but who you know. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Um, last year, I did get to work with the Eastern Connecticut State University Drama Department. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we'll get to continue that that uh, road that we started. Um, but I would love to work with other um, drama clubs and other universities. That would be great because that would help me to find the talent that's out there. Because a lot of times when I'm performing in person, I'll have people ask me, well, how can I get to do this? And I've offered to um, mentor people mm -hmm. and I've had people contact me and they're all gone and excited till they realize the work that goes into it, that what you see on stage is the end thing. It's what's behind yes. the scenes yes, it's work. is what makes it to the thing. And you have to be passionate about it. It can't just be, oh, I want to be seen because it's really not about us. It's about the narratives of our heritage that we're trying to preserve and keep going. So I think it would be easier if I had connections with drama clubs because these are individuals who are in it because of the passion and they would want to actually stick to it and do the work that's necessary. For sure. And and, and I, just as you were talking, Tammy, I, my mind went to the various, um, the, the hip hop and spoken word community as well. So there's, there's a lot of fertile ground. If I, if I can be so bold and, and, and uh, you have complete carte blanche to disagree with me, but I, I kind of see your, your purpose, passion, your purpose, your passion, and your product to be a, 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 a healing modality. A psychic, it is. A psychic it is. healing modality. It is because it's been proven that our DNA, meaning the Black and African-American community, has been altered because of the generational trauma that we've inherited. And one of the things that I think is very important that people understand, slavery is not our history. It interrupted our history, mm. but it is nonetheless still a part of it. And it's I like to tell our stories not from a trauma-based 
um, part of our history, but because it's there, you can't overlook it. You can't get around it. But I like to talk about the resiliency, the determination, mm -hmm. and how we come from a people who were strong and determined, and we made the best of our circumstances and our situation. And unfortunately, that generational trauma is definitely still uh, very visible today. And that's because we don't know our history. We don't know where we come from. And oftentimes we as a community, we as a culture are told, oh, forget about that. Don't think about that. Oh, just sweep it under the rug. And we're the only group of people that are told to forget about that trauma. Mm. But yet others can remember that and learn from it and grow, whereas we're supposed to continue to remain stifled. And that's part of the problem with our community is that generational trauma. It has not been addressed. Mm. It has not. The skills have not been put out for people to know how to work through that trauma. It's similar to when a person comes home from war. And this was before PTSD or PTSS was diagnosed mm. or mm -hmm. had a name. They wouldn't talk about it because they didn't have the skills to talk about it. They didn't know. It's the same with us and our generational trauma from that interruption of our history. When our ancestors were first released from that bondage to a certain extent, um, they didn't have the skill set. They didn't have, they didn't know how to talk about it. So it's like, let's not talk about it. Let's just move forward. But until it's addressed and it's dealt with, we will only get but so far. And those generational curses are there mm. and they stay there until we address it. We as a people address it and not allow society to tell us that it's not important, that we need to just move on. It really bothers me when I hear those who have a platform, those that's in the community that have a platform, and I mean a Hollywood platform, a national or global platform, say, oh, no more slave movies. No, no, you can't say that. You know, there's plenty of Holocaust movies mm. and mm. they get the attention that they need, whereas we're once again told to swallow what we should be um, acknowledging and being able to address I visited the Holocaust Museum, and this was before the African-American Museum was complete. They, We mm -hmm. were there in the early part of the year, and they were opening in September. When I walked out of that museum, you felt the inhumanity that the people went through. Um, I have gone to other museums that touch upon our history, but it is it is made to feel like it's okay. It wasn't that bad. I that's not fair for our history and for our history. But yes, it was that bad and it mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. It should not be a pacifying situation of, oh, yeah, slavery was here, but it was OK. No, it was not OK. We're still dealing with the aftermath of that. So those are the types of things that when doing the performances, it is cathartic. It is healing mm. because you get to see from the beginning of a family life, a beginning of love and unity. You go through that difficult situation and that horrible institution of enslavement, and then you come out on the other side of victorious people. But yet that victory is often buried in mm. the trauma part because they won't let us get past it because we're not allowed to think about it. Mm. 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 Thanks for sharing that. I, I'm just when you, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of, my mind is full with what you've just shared uh, in so many ways. I'm tempted to ask, and since this is a live show, I guess I have to ask. Since I said I'm tempted, I mean, but we all have a lot We all have a lot of temptations. Sometimes we try to uh, try to ignore them, and 
some temptations, I guess, are good. Talk to me about spirituality, your your perception, belief, uh, understanding, translation of uh, religion, spirituality, uh, motivation, personal indwelling. Uh, let's see. Well, huh, well, I guess I have to do it on a personal level. Um, I grew up as a Baptist in Mississippi. Um, but when I got here many years later, I started to investigate and I became a Jehovah's Witness. Now, as a Baptist, uh, we would go to church all day on Sunday. The preacher would preach from certain passages. And what got me away from being a Baptist was when my mom, she was a young mom, she had a stroke and she had two small children at home. Not one person from the church called. Not one person from the church came to visit. And she had two small children. She had a stroke, but she was fending for herself. But the deacon showed up one day with the tithing envelope. And uh, that I'll never forget. I won't say what my mom said, <laughs> but um, I could tell he was he was scared even asking about um, to, to tell me to give me the um, envelope to my mom. And so after that, that was the end of religion for us until I became a Jehovah's Witness. But on a spiritual level, um, we were always taught to fear God. We was always taught about Jesus, about his son. And it goes from religion to spiritual. And spiritual, mm. the difference between religion and spiritual for me is religion is an institution that tries to govern and control and and more or less moderate how a person is supposed to live. To me, spiritual is your connection with your creator, mm. with um, the higher higher being. So that to me is spiritual. And even in the scriptures, it tells you to worship him in truth and spirit. And so that's, that's how I see it. And I try to make sure that I'm living my life by the principles in the scriptures and not the man-made doctrines that are introduced. Mm, mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank, thank you for that. Uh, any questions for me? I mean, this is this you know, it's a, this is a two way street. I know, I know, I, I I try to pass the mic to you, but I probably still hold on to it. So I, I'm gonna fully pass it on to you if if, if anything. Uh, and uh, you know, I may or, I may or I may not answer your question, but it's, it's curious. <laughs> no, actually, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to be on this particular platform because you do have a platform and you do have a voice and you do reach many others. So I appreciate you for giving me the opportunity to come into your world and to experience what it's like to um, be interviewed by you because I followed you for quite some time and I have admired the work that you've done. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, thank it, it, it's it's reciprocal. And you're right, I do have some tea leaves, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a, of a firm belief that again, every, every day in some ways is a, a new day. It's an eternal present. But it's it's a new day, so learning is just continual, uh, and I'm 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 finding that's really so true for me personally. Just uh, recognizing what I don't know, <laughs> yeah. or, or attempting. No, we're always learning. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. always learning. Each day is a new day to learn what you didn't know the day before. So mm. it is always a new day. It's always um, I always say it's great to be open to learning and not to be stuck in the same ways. There's always room for expansion. There's always room for growth. And I like to use the children as an example. Children mm. are a clean slate. They are constantly exploring their own world. And you can take a child 
and put them in a situation that we were once in. We learned it one way, but that child will show you a whole different mm. way to learn it. And you still get value in that. So I mm. love working with young people and just um, spending time with them. I have a 14 going on 15 year old granddaughter and I, she just brings me so much joy being in her world, seeing her trying to maneuver life as a, a freshman and learning all of these things. And I just enjoy spending time with her and other young people. So there's always new things to learn and we can always learn from each other. Tammy, let, 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 let's, uh, let, let's linger on that issue of chatting and communing with the younger generation. Well, what, 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 what would you like to say to some of the young people between 10 and 30 or what would you like to say to some of the young folks? I, I know you speak to them, but what, what can we as adults, what should we, what should we, should we be saying and or doing and or being with our, our new seeds? Cause this is their world. And, and, and the backdrop to my question is this tragedy that's going on in the, in the middle East, which is again, in the evolving, it's been going on for some time, but this current tragedy has really set me back about the future of our world, but I'm just, what would you like to, what, what should we be saying to our younger folks or being with our younger folks or doing with our younger folks from your standpoint? One of the things that I like when I'm talking with younger people or doing enrichment programs with them and the light bulbs go off when they learn various things about the past is how, when that light bulb goes off to making connections to the past is how they start to formulate how they can make it work for them in the present and mm. well as go into their future. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I love to say to young people, I love that they have that impulsive, uh, that passion, that impulsive mm. passion of wanting to learn. One, because children are like like the sponge, as they are, they they've often said they mm. love soaking up. The, the positivity. And so when I meet young people who have that energy, and sometimes I meet children who are not in the best of circumstances, mm -hmm. but that, that passion is still there. That light is still there. I try to encourage it. I try to get them to focus on that, which is burning brightly inside of them yes, and to yes. not let outside influences douse that flame. Yes. That's what I try to help the young people to stay focused on because in a world that we live in right now, there's so much negativity. Yes. There's so much pain and there's so much unpredictability right now. And for young people that can be scary. And yes. so I, I try to help them to to focus on that times of past where community was so important. Our community, the village, I try to focus on that village um, mm. proverb and how it is so true. I grew up at a time where the village was very strong, where your neighbor, if you didn't speak to your neighbor, that was a, a form of offense. It's like, because they're the elder, they were considered elders in the community. And so we need to get back to that. We need to get to that village, Phil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you are certainly doing that. Uh, and just when I was reflecting, just as you were speaking, I was at, there's a, something called National League of Cities event uh, last, actually last year, last last March, I was down in, in D.C. Uh, representing one, a few of the city council people here in New Haven were members of the National League of Cities. And I sat at a table with uh, high school students that were from uh, Salt Lake City. <laughs> oh wow! And, and, uh, uh, and and they were just talking about teen suicide, 
mm. you know, among their friends. Just how to yeah. stay hopeful. They were they were talking about the homeless, the homelessness. Yep. Their friends, friends that were homeless. Uh, so so I really uh, you know that that stood out in my mind about that they're grappling at that young age yeah. with problems that we have not as adults had an impact on solving. Well, we as adults are part of the problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that, that, you know, some, as we continue to grow and become adults, we leave that innocence of childhood behind because of some of our life's experience. And as we get older, we, we kind of get jaded. And that's mm -hmm. why I try to speak to the youth and their, their innocence to try mm -hmm. to hold on to it as long as they can. Mm -hmm. And, and again, as, as we take the, the, another three or four minutes, Tammy, uh, the best place for people to kind of reach out, find out about the Connecticut Trail, so supporting, uh, attending, sharing information, donating. Um, that would be the ctfreedomtrail.org is the website where you can find out information about the Freedom Trail, how to submit sites that you think should be a part. Um, once we receive those letters of intent, I go out and investigate to see if they qualify to be a part of the Connecticut Freedom Trail. Um, the Freedom Trail is housed out of the old state house at 800 Main Street. And um, it is in partnership with the DECD, State Historic Preservation Office and Connecticut Democracy Center. And let's give, let, let's give a shout out, Tammy, to uh, 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 Chaz, Charles Warner Jr. Yes, Ch Charles Ch Warner Jr., who is the chairman of the Connecticut Freedom Trail. He has um, been, he took the, what's it called? What is it called when you pass it? The torch. <laughs> he took the torch from um, Al Martyr. And um, so he is the current chairman of the Connecticut Freedom Trial. You'll see all of our pictures on the website. So if you go to the website, you'll see the chairman, the coordinator, and the outreach director. And, and certainly a, a torch, a, a mantle, a, a burden, an albatross, a cross. I mean, no <laughs> one, it, uh, in terms of as we conclude about the um, Mr. Martyr, 101 years old, and I was reading a little bit more about his uh, his background. I've known him over the years, and just his. And we were just talking about young people, but at an early age, at an early age, he 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 crafted his his journey at an early age. I mean, at a very early age, uh, thought that he could make an impact on society, and 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 he did in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's that's the hope that we can. We can we can contribute. We can contribute. Yeah, uh, yeah. because of his vision and um, Senator or honor, honorable mm -hmm. um, Tony Tony Hart, because of their vision, I exist. So mm -hmm. <laughs> the yeah. outreach director position exists because of that vision. The trail of in Connecticut exists, and because of their vision, the stories that have been hidden in Connecticut are becoming much more available to the public because. Uh, the Black and African-American community played a very big role in Connecticut being the mm. state that it is. Um, even going back to the Rev War, and I would like to take the opportunity to please, ask please. different organizations to focus on the 250th that's coming up in 2026. Don't wait till the end, till the mm. time comes. We should start now. And we need to focus on the contributions that Black and African-Americans played in the role in Connecticut. Um, a big event that is happening June, the week of June 15th, the weekend of June 15th, there is going to be a 
a grave rededication of the Newton family, Mary and Thaddeus Newton, um, Alexander Newton and Stephen Newton, Stephen and Alexander. And this is all at the uh, work of John Mills, who is mm -hmm. uh, owns the Alex Brown Corporation, and they are part of the Connecticut Freedom Trail. We will also have, and that's through the New Haven Museum, the Connecticut Freedom Trail and the Connecticut Old State House, another partnership where it is going to be um, a film being showed by Dolly Marshall. She's a Black filmmaker who does a story on Alexander Newton. And then there's going to be that rededication. And Stephen and um, his brother Alexander were um, or regimental soldiers. Um, they were colored soldiers. Mm. I think Stephen was 54th and Alexander was definitely the 29th. Don't quote mm. me for Stephen. That would be John Mills' department. But um, so that's an event that's happening in New Haven. And part of it will happen at the old state house because I also do a podcast called conversations at noon mm -hmm. every fourth Tuesday of each month. And Dolly and John will do that conversations at noon on the 25th of June, but July, June 15th, that weekend. And then there's also a big event with the descendants of the 29th. Mm. Mm. That is going to happen mm. June 22nd. Mm. So Crescullo Park and that monument that Ed Hamilton created in behalf mm -hmm. of the remembrance of the 29th. A lot of people don't realize the Connecticut 29th exists. There's the 29th, mm -hmm. the 30th, 31st, and I think 33rd. So there were three different, three or four different regiments of colored soldiers who fought for this country to um, be united and get away from enslavement. And a lot of them came from right here in Connecticut. Excellent. Excellent. Tammy, thank you so much. So basically we're going to have to do another show in April or May to kind of just, that, <laughs> sure. that, 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 that's what, that's what I heard. That's, that's what I heard. That's, you just let me know and right. I will be here, sir. All right. That, that's what I heard. That's what we're going to do. Harry, just let me know. We have about 30 seconds. So that means he's going to kick us off and I'm not sure what comes on at 12 o'clock. I'm sure it's worth gotcha. listening to, but I'm glad that we people have had a chance to listen to us and particularly yes. to listen, thank you. to listen to you. Tammy, thank thanks you. so much. Thank you, dear. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you very much. LP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio.